the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome, guys. It is our second podcast here at the Studios of Anger in the um, lovely office of James Anger. We are warmed up. Last week was our warm-up. We're ready to go, right? Feeling loose. Yeah. I'm here with my podcast partner and life partner, James Anger. That's me. <laughs> you, you sound a little nervous today. No, I really, that really is me. Okay, okay, good. Um, thanks for joining us a second time. I'm a little worried that like you guys are downloading the first time, the first podcast, but that you're not going to stick around because the first one was just the, the pity, the pity download and... Um, we'll see how many of you guys have stuck around. That's your Enneagram 4 talking. <laughs> that is true. A cynical Ed- spin on everything. Enneagram 4 always sees what's missing, is always anticipating the negative. Um, yeah, my Enneagram good. 3 says this is going to be great. Downloads were amazing for the first week. <laughs> That's right. And we are excited to have you here. Thank you for listening. Um, my, my first thing that I have to say is I have to apologize to my son, my second born son, who I got the, I got his birthday or his age wrong, which he was kind of um, upset about, which is kind of appropriate, except I uh-huh. barely know how old I am. This is the perp walk intro that we're doing here. Anyways, Anything else we he, need to apologize yeah, he for? He is 15 years old. He is not 14 <laughs> years old. Um, I do know the age of my children. I do remember when he was born. And so we will, without apology, I will move on. Um, we're I'll have gonna, to think up a good title for uh, from a blues song about apologies. Yeah, I yeah. Can find one. And Give me probably time. we'll tell his birth story another time, too. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> okay, our next section, call it Stormy Monday. It is a Monday. It's it's cloudy a little bit, but um, I'm still feeling good. Yesterday, what was yesterday going? Or how did yesterday go for you? It is a gray and lonesome morning here on Monday. The post-Sunday blues is being felt a little bit just by a little bit of drag, but it's a little bit of drag because there was a great Sunday for us yesterday. We had a something slightly different in the morning, a sermon dialogue instead of just me blab, blab, blabbing for a while. But the reason that we did the sermon dialogue in the morning was that it gave me a little bit of a lighter work week from that direction so that I could spend time on our organization service, which occurred yesterday at 4 p.m. when finally our church was recognized and established as a real church. After all, mom, we got a real church now with a self-government and we ordained and installed our first deacons. It was socially distanced and we weren't regathered, only participants were in the room. But at the same time, it felt like a celebration of the men and women that have come forward to be ordained as elders and deacons for the many people near and far that have loved us and our church on this journey. So that was a fun night last night. I'm still buzzing a little bit from the excitement of yesterday. Yeah, I get. I guess when I was listening, I was listening in our kitchen, um, watching on YouTube and thinking back on um, just how the the people represented in the chat were from all different time time periods of our life. I was thinking about earlier Sunday morning and how your focus on on um, talking about community and home groups with um, mm-hmm. with people that it 
really church is about the people that uh, exist in our our different spheres so it was a good point of nostalgia for me um we're feeling a little bit nostalgic i think that your your goal today was to dive into the nostalgia piece right right i am almost directly in my mid-40s right now so for the rest of my life i'm going to be a nostalgia act i've embraced that i'm fully in my elvis and vegas period right now i'm wearing a leather jumpsuit which emily actually asked me to wear specifically for this for this podcast but because there wasn't a traditional sermon on sunday morning yesterday this is going to be one of our one-offs where we double click on a subject of our choice just to fill in some backstory and headspace about the preaching endeavor and this time we've decided to do the super secret preaching origin story. It's going to be every bit as good as all of those Avengers shows and movies and comic books about, not that I'm a superhero of <laughs> any sort. <laughs> so not a superhero origin story, just just an origin story of a little guy named Jim. Oh, right, right. Um, the origin story, I, of course, know and I, I love. It's kind of fun to back into this. So this is our section, a tour of Sun Studios. We might as well get the start of Sun Studios. Um, we're not going to start at your, your birth. You're not going to start at your rocking period where you had your parents drag a rocking chair on vacation so that you could rock. Even as I'm rocking right now. <laughs> uh, what else are we not? We're not covering um, your high school basketball days where you have, uh, where you're someone, who did it? Your mom, she encasted your gold, your gold-plated um, knee guards, she, knee pads. She bronzed my knee pads, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. They're very <laughs> confusing to me. Um, that, that time period is very confusing to me. You're still friends with your high school friends. It's kind of great. Yeah. It's scary. No, it's awesome. Yeah, so we're gonna skip all, all of that. Maybe we'll get pieces of that at some point yeah yeah but um we're gonna jump right or we're we're skipping over how we met i guess <laughs> that'll be when i interview you no, on a further no. podcast you're not interviewing me uh, <laughs> we'll see maybe 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 um so there's a chance but woke up this morning is your is your heading for today woke up this morning about half of the blues songs ever written have started with that line woke up this morning something like grab my walking shoes how did all of this start if the morning yeah. is a new beginning how did you become a preacher a preacher man yeah so i think i mentioned a couple weeks ago in the sermon maybe the one that we reflected upon last sunday went to dartmouth college in new hampshire not particularly a person of faith of any stripe i didn't feel antipathy towards faith or religions it just wasn't a huge part of my life Went to church occasionally growing up. I enjoyed the, rit the ritual, but didn't feel real and vital to me. But it was fine. And so I started needing help just because the academic load at our college was pretty great. And I also met a young lady that said, hey, if you want to start hanging out with me, you're going to have to start doing what I do in terms of some Christian fellowship type stuff, the campus ministry, and then also going to the church that she was going to, and I happened to be talking with that little lady right now. I have no words. It was a good time. Yeah, so we should we should actually break this out into like a Spanish prisoner, where I tell one side of the story without you in the room, and then you tell your side of the story without me in the room, and then we'll mix it together. That That's a bonus episode, but... For the purposes of preaching, and there's so many aspects of this story that I could go into, but I'll focus on, on the preaching aspect. M, you were attending First Congregational Church of Woodstock, Vermont, which was about a half an hour away 
from Hanover, New Hampshire, where Dartmouth was. We took a school bus down some winding roads uh, in Queechy, Queechy, Queechy. Queechy, Vermont. <laughs> the Queechy Gorge. And then down to Woodstock. Not Woodstock, New York. That's right. Woodstock, Vermont. And so I just started to fall in some of your habits in, in Christian disciplines. Again, open, but not expectant, I would say, about whatever the future would hold with doing some of those Christian rhythms. But when I started attending church our first year in school, not that I had bad experiences at church, and I've remained friends with some of the pastors that I knew growing up in suburban New Orleans, so nothing against any of those other people. But when I heard the preacher there preach Norman Coop, he passed away suddenly just a couple of years ago. Before I became somebody on the way of Jesus, I was struck by his sermons in the sense that I felt that he really believed what he was talking about. And there is a burden week in and week out where I felt from Norm that he believed that he was talking about things that may just be the most important things in the universe. And that was new to me. Another step in that process was uh, feeling the burden from Norm to get across the Bible, the things of God, the things of Jesus, the good news. I also saw how it was relevant to my life in ways that I hadn't experienced religion to be before, where it's not just platitudes to make us feel a little bit better about ourselves, uh, not not only chicken soup for the soul, where we you know, put a meme on our refrigerator and then we feel a little bit better for a little while. But as I struggled with in terms of some of scriptural categories, uh, the idolatry of academics, the idolatry of self, the idolatry of achievement, with all of the things that came with that, I understood that I was more broken than I realized, and I needed not only help, but I needed forgiveness. And that was what Norm spent a ton of time talking about in his sermons week after week after week. And so midway through the year, I went from being burdened by the preacher's burden, by Norm's burden, to my being burdened by the reality of a crucified and resurrected Jesus that was real and vital and necessary for me uh, to engage, uh, to believe in, and to live out. And so the first part of my origin story as a preacher is correlated to my origin story as a Christian. Yeah, like it was, um, it, it was Norm's preaching that made us not even with you but me and the other students who were going on this school bus actually it started off as a van andy so, cole was a bus driver <laughs> it was a van and we would drive the 30 minutes the and I, i'm somebody who gets carsick and so i was willing to do that because preaching really was speaking to me in a way that the um the gospel of of the truth of my brokenness our brokenness as humanity and the the uh the refreshingness of accepting grace, like being able to accept that we as humans are broken, sinful, uh, our hearts are not right before God, but that God freely ex extends grace, that mm -hmm. that message was was delivered every week. So in, in such a, like you were saying, authentic um, driving way that caused me to have to reflect every week um, on that truth and let that govern my my actions and decisions like that that was what made us continue to go go to that church flourish develop community with the other students mm -hmm. who were attending um and it was a good time to also 
engage in conversations with you about our future, about our lives. Mm -hmm. um, I remember walking Occam Pond um, right. with you the day that you decided, I think I want to be a pastor. Right. So we can go ahead to from conversion to <laughs> called. Yeah. Norm was preaching through the book of Romans, and he was one of those old school preachers that would just take years preaching through books of the Bible. And there was some expectation that if you want to be a true preaching warhorse, at some point you need to spend at least 10 years preaching through the book of Romans, which is what Norm basically did. I think he didn't quite reach the 10-year mark, but it was maybe around eight years. As I was becoming more and more serious about Jesus, but also first year still very serious about my, my career as a future CEO of Chrysler Corporation to build great cars at great prices for great people like you and me. Unfortunately, Chrysler went in a different direction over the past 20 years. Yeah, that's, but you're still Chrysler committed. So. <laughs> I'm still Chrysler committed. Yeah, that, that's another podcast right there. It's, we it's have my, so, so many podcasts. Right. My, my Chrysler subreddit is probably what it's going to be. But That summer you worked for the car, Chrysler car dealership. Yeah, it was great. Did you so, guys know that? <laughs> car salesman, I could have done it. That relates to part of the story later on, too. <laughs> okay. So for a while, first year after converting to Christianity, the plan was just for me to stay on my career track, pursuing the automotive industry. And I want to say, too, that there is nothing wrong in Christendom, uh, you know, people that name the name of Jesus, men and women, need to be in all kinds of pursuits, vocations, businesses. So it's not that I repented of that course of action by any stretch, but as Norm continued to preach through Romans, as I was in Bible studies and small groups, and as we dialogued, there was a growing sense that there could be more to this gospel for me vocationally than I was suspecting. And it was something that hard to put into words, those impressions of the Holy Spirit sort of thing that are real but ineffable for a reason. It was a growing sense that I didn't really engage in prayer. I don't think I talked to you about it at all or anybody else. I just kind of felt like it was maybe something that I ate and it would pass. It was one too many uh, fourth meal breadsticks at EBAs with that ranch dipping sauce mm -hmm. that, you know, caused me to gain 30 pounds in college by the end of it. They were doing Uber Eats before Uber Eats. That's right. Delivering to your dorm room. 24-hour pizza delivery for college students. What could possibly go <laughs> wrong or right about such a thing? But then I was kind of sitting with that sense at a low level week after week after week. But then Norm came, and I'd have to go back and check the date, but I think I'm pretty sure it was June 2nd. 1996. We can fact check that to see if that was actually a Sunday or not. Uh, but Norm was preaching through Romans 10, talking about the necessity of the proclamation of the good news of Jesus. And it goes like this. But how are people to call on him in whom they have not believed? How can people believe in Jesus? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. And so in the course of this sermon, and that paragraph climaxes with, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, there was a growing burden and sense and impression upon my soul that got sharper and sharper and sharper until three quarters of the way through the sermon, I felt God telling me, Jim, this is going to be you. 
for the rest of your life. And if I was resisting that impulse beforehand, I didn't resist it afterwards. So it was just kind of quiet for the rest of the service, quiet on that half hour van ride home. We did lunch at Thayer with the other students going to church. And then I asked you to take a walk around Occam Pond, which is a big pond, not a small pond. And told you what I was feeling. And so we talked it out and thus began that part of the journey for me and for us. Right. I think the creepy part for me, uh, creepy maybe is the wrong word, but it was, it was, every time I think back to it, it was really strange. I have this moment, uh, my dad, my parents took me out um, to lunch at a Chinese restaurant when I was in high school, I guess junior or senior year, and they actually must have been senior year. They were trying to get me to commit to a career path, you know, <laughs> my parents do. Right. Um, just, Tiger parents. Yeah, yeah. The aside is that J Jim and I just took Josiah out for that conversation yesterday. Let the circle be unbroken. Right, or two days ago. But um, I told my dad that I felt really convicted that I would wanted to marry and be in a support role for someone who was um, a pastor. And, like, not, not even... Um, in other some other kind of form of ministry, but like specifically a pastor, I wanted to be a pastor's wife, which it, I just keep on thinking that was that's such a straight. It was such a strange um, moment that it has clarified in my um, head. That moment, my dad said to me, um, "If you want to do that, then you should go to a Christian school. You shouldn't go to Dartmouth." Right. Um, and I said, no, if this is really a calling, if I really feel like called to this, I could go to any school and mm -hmm. um, and God would bring the person or God would put me on a path towards that if that really is a calling. Um, so that walk around Occam Pond was so bizarre to me because it, it did feel like this moment that was ordained and it is strange to even talk about because it feels so um script like it doesn't feel like real yeah, it's and, crazy and yet it was right it felt like before the movie had come out it felt like an, an inception moment and it's uh, precious and profound even to talk about yeah again here yeah so i didn't break up with you <laughs> not that time <laughs> but that wasn't the reason i stuck with you either it wasn't this like i was forced into it by god <laughs> So many more podcasts. Because <laughs> I really so did try topics. to break up with you many times, even after that moment. Uh, anyways. That's true. Maybe I was forced by God. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, is there anything else you wanted to say about that calling, or should we move on? Just to round that out, to, to say that it was a decisive day, such that that afternoon I went back to my dorm room after we talked, after we spent some time praying. I reordered my summer, and so... The idea for my summer was that I had put together a study program with an economics professor in college geared toward the automo automotive industry and I was going to go back to New Orleans and engage with Chrysler dealerships down there where I had some relationships and enter the Chrysler undergrad future executive program. I scrapped it all that day, and so my plan was to go back to New Orleans for the summer, for a summer after college, and read the Bible every day. I figured that if I'm going to be a preacher, I better know what the Bible actually says. And so got off the plane from college, picked up by my parents. The only sour note in this whole story is that after I was 
picked up by my parents a year in New Hampshire. My parents said, where do you want to eat? And I said, let's go to Applebee's. <laughs> so, Lord, forgive yeah, me for I have you, sinned. That was, not, that was not the gym I know now. That's right. We all grow and change in very helpful, <laughs> profound ways. But I told my parents then, hey, this is changing. Not going to do the internship that I put together that summer instead. I'd appreciate it if you'd leave me alone when from nine to five, Monday through Friday, I'll be reading the Bible in my room. <laughs> um, that sounded more less strange than it does now. Uh, you know, people's mileage may vary on that one, but <laughs> yep, that's what it was. Right. And so, and so you, you did the deep dive and you didn't walk away. You instead, what that's was right. the result of that summer? Yeah, just took steps, uh, began leading Bible studies, trying to get internships at churches, charted a path to seminary, and dove in full speed ahead to trying to garner experiences in ministry, both doing ministry relationally, structurally, organizationally, and ministry roles that involved a lot of proclamation, a lot of communication, a lot of Bible teaching, a lot of blabbing. Yeah, and uh, for this podcast, I think we're kind of focusing on your preaching just broadly, right? Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> the preaching, the preaching post-mortem. Post so, so we're going to kind of focus on that aspect of ministry, not to say that the other aspects aren't important. Mm -hmm. um, but with preaching, um, do you enjoy it? Do you, what do you, or, well, yeah, I know the answer to that, but do you enjoy preaching? I feel good, <laughs> as James Brown once said. Yeah, a couple of reasons why, and I'm fortunate to have a job where I love my job just as much today as when I first started, and I have good confidence that I'll love it every day as long as I do it. So I love being able to have a role where I feel like what I'm doing is really important. I think you know, person of faith, not person of faith, being able to say that about one's vocation is really healthy and fortunate. I understand that there are a lot of people around the world and throughout the ages that wouldn't be able to say that same thing. And so I'm really grateful and thankful for it. And I believe that Jesus crucified and resurrected is the most important message in the world. Uh, Steve Huber and I were talking after the organization service last night. My good friend Steve Huber, director of the Liberty Network, preached the sermon at that service. And I thought it was a great message. And Steve and I were talking afterwards where he was remarking that midway through the sermon, he was struck all over again about the beauty of the good news of Jesus. And uh, that happens in preaching when you're midway through a message or midway through a preparation week and you're struck all over again about how powerful, how necessary, how real, how beautiful, how magnificent, how over overpowering all of this stuff is. And I get to talk about it yeah. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and people listen which is also great <laughs> at different levels. And so if that's the big picture about why I enjoy preaching, a, a couple other bits of it, I consider preaching to be a vulgar art. And both of those parts are important. So we'll get back to the vulgar part. It has a Latin root, as our listeners will be really eager to hear. But the art part, preaching is an art. And, you know, everybody in their own minds is a creative person, so I don't want to overstress that aspect of my personality, but genuinely love to read, love to write, and so part of my job, and at this point I probably spend between 10 to 12 hours on a sermon per week. I actually recommend to younger preachers, don't spend more than 12, maximum 15 hours on a sermon because there are a lot of other things that you need to do and do well in pastoral ministry. 
But for those 10 to 12 hours every week, I am able to engage in a creative activity where I'm wrestling with words, I'm wrestling with the text, I'm wrestling with how to communicate, I'm bouncing different ideas around in my head about what will reach people, what will preach, what won't. Am I falling back on the same strategies rhetorically week after week after week? Am I keeping it fresh for me as a writer? Am I keeping it fresh for me as a preacher? Am I keeping it fresh for my listeners? Are there and, too many references to sports or music? Right. Yeah, it's, a, it's an ongoing process. Am I over-referencing? Am I under-referencing? All those sorts of questions. And, and there is a... Rec- the there real reason we moved to New Jersey is so that it was appropriate to use Bruce Springsteen references. <laughs> Singer-songwriter from New Jersey, that's true. And there's some debate in preaching circles about this. Part of me ascribes to what's been called from the English Puritan tradition of the 17th century, the the plain spoken preaching style. I think there really is something to that where you want to speak conversationally and not be so highfalutin or rhetorically flourished that nobody knows who you're speaking to or why. But there is another dimension when even plain spoken communication has rhetorical dimensions to it. And I try to pitch that rhetoric at levels that communicate to people and are properly engaging towards listeners and transparent as the message of Jesus can get through. And as such, if there are rhetorical dimensions and otherwise, I I treat preaching as a craft and it's something that you have to work at, whether you're a carpenter, whether you're a photographer, whether you're a preacher, it's something that I'm intentional about. And so I used to be embarrassed about the fact that I go back and listen to my sermons. I used to be embarrassed about the fact that now I can go back and watch video of my sermons. But I'm not embarrassed about that anymore. I go back and listen to my sermons just to laugh at my own jokes over again. <laughs> but in addition to that, I, I like to go back to see, hey, what landed, what didn't? How can I improve? Were there boring stretches? Were there parts that weren't connecting? And keep chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. It's a craft and an art, and it's also vulgar. So vulgar in the sense of crowd. I don't know if you know the phrase, I'm the mobile vulgus, the fickle crowd. I do not. So in in Latin, vulgus just means crowd. I so do know I'm a fickle crowd. I, <laughs> that is, I agree with that. that. That is true. You are large and contain multitudes of fickle crowd in this. I, I embrace <laughs> that, and I love that. So vulgar, not negative, just you know the masses. And so a vulgar art, as opposed to any art, keeps me grounded where... And I understand that my preaching is not for everybody. No preacher's preaching is for everybody. But I want to make my preaching as broad as I can possibly make it. And so I'm not just in my own esoteric world of references and jokes and Bible trivia and theology for the sake of doing what pleases me or going to Philadelphia Museum of Art like I did on Friday. As a consumer of art, I enjoy really challenging paintings where you have to think and wrestle with the painting to figure out what the artist is doing and try to get to where the artist may have been, but then also think about how I'm responding to it and be challenged by it. So many kinds of art, I really love that, but those paintings at the Philly Museum are not vulgar art. They're there for contemplation, consideration, challenge, and artists that do challenging paintings understand that most people aren't going to get it. And not only is that fine, but it's by design. Oh, I don't think it's fine to them. <laughs> but that's another another. That candidate. is true. I, I am speaking to a visual artist here, so I'll, I'll stay in my lane. Thank you. <laughs> but I want to be heard. And so any rhetorical, artistic impulses are balanced and checked by this impulse that I want to be understood and listened to. Finally, feeling good. One of the things that I love about the Bible 
is that it's always new for me to preach from week after week after week. When I told friends and family back in New Orleans that I was planning on being a preacher, there were a lot of good conversations and questions, but one of them that I fielded early on, both in New Orleans and then in college and otherwise, when I tell people, hey, I want to be somebody that preaches a sermon every week, and not every ministerial calling is so focused on regular preaching, that's fine too, but the question that I would get, hey, I want to be a preacher week after week after week, you want to get what that guess what that question would be then? Oh, gee. Uh, I, yeah, I... So the question was, won't you run out of stuff to talk uh, about? Not you. And I was challenged. I was challenged by that question, a little bit trepidated, like, hey, wait a second. What if I hit age 32 and say, I have nothing left to say? But what I've come to love about preaching in an increasingly deeper way is that if I'm preaching a passage of the Bible every week, Every week, anew, I'm going into part of the scriptures, looking at commentaries, and there's always something new to say. I don't know if you remember a um, professor that we had in college who, who was a follower of Jesus, Lindsay Whaley. He taught Greek and linguistics. Yeah. He was giving a Thursday night fellowship talk in the hop our senior year, and one of the things that he said there was, I love being a linguistics professor because every day I get to discover something new. He said most days they're small discoveries, they're not going to set the world on fire, they're not going to produce world peace on their own or solve poverty. But as I study these ancient cultures and dig into these different language groups, I am discovering new things. And so every week I feel like I'm translating new things from an ancient text to a modern context. And so the, the challenge is there for me to take up every week, and I enjoy doing so. Yeah, and I... I even though I like to say that I don't enjoy it, I do and really enjoy your preaching, and it's it's fun to be sitting in the audience. Uh, and right now, it's kind of fun to see the kids I, because we're not in a church. We're in my family room watching you on YouTube. Right. Um, it is kind of fun to see their natural responses and how they're tracking or not tracking. Um, but but from at least from our family's perspective, it's 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 super interesting and good to hear you speaking the truth over and over, just like the days of norm, the truth of our brokenness and God's forgiveness and grace. Yeah, I, I don't take for granted the fact that I'm married to somebody that enjoys my preaching. That doesn't <laughs> happen in, in, in every pastoral couple. And in addition to that, um, you've heard more sermons of mine by any other living person <laughs> or dead person in yeah. the history of Gold the world. So you, you've sat through a lot of them. And the preaching with family especially as our kids get over is interesting because they're sort of a built-in BS meter for us where <laughs> Dad. if I'm not practicing what I'm preaching, they'll, they'll tell me, they'll know. And I feel the weight of living out the gospel in the home because my kids will see and know if I'm on a different page with them. Right. As I am with my, especially my the public teenagers. ministry. But especially our, teenagers. Our, our youngest also like wants you to speak about her every Sunday, and she's offended that you don't, which is kind of funny because like I thought pastor's kids hated being right. talked about. Yeah, all, and our older kids were like, please don't talk about me in sermons. But Claire's like, hey, wait a second. Why didn't you mention me? Right. And then Jesse's like, you weren't funny this week. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, so, so it's a representative sample of my hearers in general, what I have <laughs> at the Anger true. household. <laughs> um, yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, but specifically, uh, this next section, the things that I used to do 
how, guitar slim. How does preaching fit you, you as a person? Right. So the things that I used to do, and you mentioned at the very beginning, and I believe it was the rhetorical device of Lytotes, where you said, we're not going to mention this, but then you mention it. Very skillful <laughs> on your part. I appreciated that, my love. So a little bit of the origin story, too, is after and as I felt called to preaching, I was able to look back upon my growing up and see ways in which that I believe God was preparing me for this vocation even before I felt that I was going to go in this vocation. So I love words. Uh, and as you know, I was not a natural talker. So being somebody that was a very, very late talker, uh, virtually silent for... Until you were three. Large, silent yeah. until I was three and then had a fairly pronounced stutter through elementary school. Yeah. I, I was a total wallflower and spent a lot of time on one hand, rocking in my chair and thinking, but then on the other hand, observing other people. So it was this you long... You scare people with these details. This, there, there was this long <laughs> incubation phase. I'm, I'm totally gentle, everybody. Don't you worry. You're in good hands. <laughs> this long in incubation phase where I would observe without speaking how people would use words with one another, how my mom and dad would use words with each other, how... I would use words with my brother Mark, how classmates would use words to one another, how classmates would use words to wound one another, how classmates, and this is, you know, playground, kindergarten, first grade, how people that had popularity used words differently than people that didn't have popularity, how people would leverage words to affect their social circles, how people would leverage words for good or for ill. The good ones knew how to do it in the classroom with teachers to curry teachers' favor people that use words poorly, and I saw their standing with teachers uh, recede. Uh, between those things of observation and then being a, being a lifelong reader, I've always felt, even before called to ministry, that there is a specific power in words. I did some writing last fall, and it hasn't seen the light of day yet, but talking about how, whether it's music or words, they're the most ineffable art form because they're completely weightless and materialless and structureless, give or take some air, but at the same time they're the most powerful things in the world. So when I read John's Gospel after my first year in college when I was in my room, I think I got to John's Gospel in early August. It made all the sense into the world to me that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that Jesus is associated with Word. And it clicked then, it clicked now. If Jesus is the most powerful, important being in the universe, what are some thought forms that can be attached and tied into the person of Jesus? Well, of course, Jesus is the Word. So I happen to find myself doing something that I love, in part because I love words, and I love the romance of words, too. And uh, early 90s movie, Judgment Night, with Emilio Estevez and Jeremy Piven, similar idea. Guys night out that goes horribly wrong. They get mixed up with bad guys. And Jeremy Piven is the talker of Wait, the group. Wait, is this a spoiler? Um, <laughs> apologies to those that had queued up <laughs> Judgment Night. I'm also in awe of you. Good I taste in movies. <laughs> so Jeremy Piven is the talker, and the bad guys are about to kill everybody. And Jeremy Piven says, let me go talk to them one more time. And I love the romance of words where... In a world of so much upheaval continuing, I feel that God has armed me with words against all of those other things, and I'm going to go down talking.
Yeah. I, um, all the nostalgia is making me think, oh, oh, all those times I tried to break up with you, you did, like, you frequently write me really long emails about why <laughs> I shouldn't break up with you. Um, and your words were really convincing. So th- that's, that is funny. You get, it's been there since the beginning. Um, anyways. I think it it fits. It's it would be interesting. I might ask the kids again. Um, do you think that preaching fits, Dad? I'm I'm curious to know what they think. And you guys, the listeners, like what you think about um, words and whether you fit. You feel like Jim, um, if preaching really fits him. Sure. <laughs> okay. So next section, though. Um, good reflections. I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around some of that, also, but. Um, what challenges do you see ahead for your preaching? I can't quit you, baby, sung Otis Rush, but I gotta put you down for a while. Can I quit yeah. preaching? This is the last section before we wrap up. Uh, the challenges that I see moving ahead, this one's less personal for me, but there's always part of my brain as the world evolves where I wonder, do words matter? And is preaching just an obsoleted form of communication? Uh, do people care about words. And I don't mean that as a return to the old days complaint, but simply understanding that it's been observed by a lot of people that we live in an illiterate culture, not an illiterate one, but an illiterate culture is where like people just don't read, which I guess is fine. There aren't a lot of words on TikTok. There aren't a lot of words on TikTok. And so just an image driven and attention spans continue to get shorter and shorter. I have tried to shorten my preaching since we went video. But that means going from 35 minutes to 30 minutes. So it's not like I'm you know, joining the TikTok generation in terms of duration of communication. But then I take heart on the other hand, words persist, although in different forms. If you think about hip hop as a genre, like for generations now, hip hop has been word rich and the verbal dexterity there is hugely impressive. And so to say, you know, people don't care about words anymore, nobody's reading, ignores something like hip hop. People listen to podcasts all the time now, don't Here they? Here we are. Right, and so as I'm somebody that, you know, goes running four times a week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, I never would have thought that on my days where I have slotted recreational listening as opposed to listening about preaching, which I do on Mondays and Tuesdays, I'll listen to a podcast where you have two people talking just as often as I'll listen to music now. So people consume words in that way, audible books and so on. So I wonder on one hand, do words matter? But then on the other hand, I continue to trust in whatever detailed form words would take, there will be a place for preaching. So I believe that words matter. And then also I believe that the word Jesus matters. And so one of the things that I love about the challenge of preaching is that there's always next Sunday. If I preach a sermon that feels like it doesn't land, that's okay. There's always next Sunday. If I feel like I preach a sermon that's really great, Jim, don't let it get to your head because there's always next Sunday at the same time. So it keeps me fresh. And I think of the singer-songwriter from New Jersey, Bruce Springsteen, towards the end of the River Tour gave an interview to Robert Hilburn in the Los Angeles Times talking about, he was asked the question a little bit of a softball, Bruce, why do you play so hard every night no matter where you are? And Bruce said, well, I think of myself as a fan and the kid that had his first ticket to a Bruce Springsteen show. He doesn't have a ticket to New York. He doesn't have a ticket to Los Angeles. 
but he has a ticket to Cleveland. And so I need to play Cleveland every bit as hard as I play Los Angeles and New York. That's what rock and roll is, a promise and oath, being as true as you possibly can at any given moment. And so I believe that preaching is a promise and an oath where I don't know who's going to be there on a given Sunday. I don't know who's going to listen to the sermon podcast feed. I don't know who's going to tune in online. But I believe that every Sunday, God has brought people into our listening who absolutely need to hear good news of Jesus from the scriptures. And so that's why I'm going to keep preaching in Cleveland yeah. week after week after week. That's a, that's a great image. That's a wordsmith, that, that Bruce, whoever he is. Thanks, boss. <laughs> um, yeah, and th that's what this podcast is going to be about. It's about unpacking those sermons, unpacking your brain as you, um, unpacking your heart and mm -hmm. uh, those, those things that are being poured into each sermon that you write, um, maybe as an act of of just giving people a little bit more of a window. I also am a podcast listener, so I, I listen while doing laundry, while folding clothes, while yep. uh, cooking. And I, I think it is good to kind of fill your mental space with understanding how humans work, understanding how relationships work, how, um, but then this is the, the more important thing, the um, understanding how um, God's word is is powerful to um, the, that, that process of being spoken to us and what we can what we can do with it yeah so it's exciting um also my kids like podcasts like the office ladies and there's a kid nation podcast it's right. very strange oh so the, horror, the next the generation is also listening so maybe maybe words are not a challenge we'll see um yeah, so thank you guys for listening. We're, um, we're, we re really are happy to have you uh, again. Like I said, I am a podcast listener, so part of me is like, oh, finally, I have something to do where uh, a reason reason to have been listening to all these podcasts. Now I get to be a host. Um, it's exciting to uh, have some extra time with my husband since often he's working. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, no, I, I uh, and it's it's just been fun. We did get our first podcast review mm. and our first podcast email. So thank you to these people. I'm gonna shout them out by reading their reading their um, their or whatever their word their words. I can't find words. I'm not the wordsmith. Um, from Scott, he writes in an email, hey, Hi, Jim and Emily. It's Scott, and I love the first podcast. I enjoyed getting the insight into Jim's thoughts and references, as well as his thoughts on the book of Hebrew. One of my faves. Looking forward to future podcasts. Signed off, a howlin' wolf. <laughs> he listened to the end. That's right. I, <laughs> Scott, I have read that email so many times. Thank you so much for it. It may have been the best email that I have ever received postsundayblues at gmail.com. That's right. We welcome your feedback. Um, we welcome your your rating and reviewing and subscribing. We have a review from KLO Listens. She or P writes um, the P, wait, TPSB. That does TP. The Post Sunday Blues. I know, I know, I know. I'm just trying to say it. TB, TPSB. TPSB. I can't. It's, no, I don't know. You need another. Ugh. Post Sunday Blues is just <laughs> what was needed during this time of social isolation. Jim and Emily are warm and personable as they invite us into their home, heart, and thoughts. Thank you, KLO. Yes, thank you, KLO. <laughs> um, so how about you guys? Would you? How would you rate this podcast? 
give us a review, a shout out. Um, again, I, I don't know where this is going. I'm having fun. I, I do like to get that deep dive into Jim's brain. Hopefully you do too. Um, do you have any other last thoughts? Yeah, next week, Amu will have the week off. But don't don't get too comfortable. Mm-hmm. You'll be back on. Steve Huber is going to be preaching at our network Sunday. And so next week, I will be in the Emily chair interviewing Steve Ooh. about questions related to him and the sermon. Yeah, so. I want to hear the deep dive. Yeah. And what's, what's going on in Steve Huber's brain? That is also a question I have. I'll, I, I I'll do be my listening. best. <laughs> okay. Thanks again for listening. How was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post-Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. Is that like a magic, it's a, what is the good luck charm? No, like your rabbit's foot, no. He's watching you, watching the shields. Just just happens to be there. (laughs) I mean, usually, so you usually look at him in profile, is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) Looks good from so many different angles. it looks like he's looking out the window with the um, shield ready, ready to protect you from the squirrels. Well, I... Yeah, that looks that looks great. I I put it that way too because as we know in Avengers Endgame that is America's ass. So you're able to uh, get a good look right oh, there. You're wearing-